We're starting up part in the delay, New Abolitionist Radio, and we're here to discuss, as always, prison slavery and how that's impacting all of our lives out here. Uh, and particularly, uh, we're amped to be discussing an event that is coming up tomorrow, and it's based in New York City. Uh, we've been having these welcome home looks for a minute now uh, for the past few years. And so this one, unfortunately, with this outbreak, and we know how this has impacted all of us, uh, we had to postpone and we had to uh, bring it to the virtual realm. So uh, We Home 2020 uh, will be tomorrow night starting at 7 p.m. And uh, we are very uh, thankful and appreciative that we have uh, our guests for tonight to talk to us about what's going on, uh, what the Welcome Home is about that's, that's going to be tomorrow night, We Home 2020, and to share their perspectives on this question of prison slavery and uh, how it's impacting us, why we need to be supporting those on the inside especially, and why we need to be fighting against uh, this monster called prison slavery as legalized through the 13th Amendment. So uh, from there, uh, appreciate you, Brother Scotty, for, for getting this off the ground. And we will just uh, start in. So if we could just start with some um, introductions, I, I know that, that y'all have, uh, <laughs> y'all are all you know, connected to, to this event that's coming up in different ways. And so um, before we go into the video, which we wanna, which we wanna play, um, of Yoda's. I'm wondering if we could just start with some brief introductions, uh, starting with you, Max, and we could just go around and then, um, and then we can queue up the video before we, we get into the, into the uh, in-depth of the discussion. So um, if, if we could start with that. Uh, first, we have Max here coming from IWOC NYC, who's uh, one of the organizers of the event coming up tomorrow night. Yeah, hi everyone. I'm Max. I'm an outside organizer with the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, NYC. Also a member of the Stop the Raids Coalition. And uh, yeah, also a teacher and researcher. And just, uh, yeah, not too much more to say. Happy to be here and grateful to you all for, for to everyone for the work that's going into the event tomorrow. And hope that folks tuning in now get, get a chance to join that as well. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, and appreciate you. Um, how about you, Sis Basir? Uh, are you are you with it for a brief intro? Okay. Um. No problem. <clears throat> I'm Sis Basir, framed on the Phantom of Basir. Um. My I'm mother of the Rajadini Dukadil. Both of us are both are wrongfully convicted. Part of the slave trade up here in the United States government, and um, hopefully I'm here to present, you know, with the updates with my son, as well as the recent appointment of the new superintendent who once worked at Guantanamo Bay. He's the present superintendent whose name is Dennis Regal at the Pendleton Correctional Facility in Indiana. So I would like to send some light on that. Much appreciated, Sis Basir. And, 
and uh, Yoda, I, I don't see your visuals anymore, but um, I, ideally those, what's doing, what's doing? Uh, would you be down for, would you be down for, um, for a quick intro before we go into uh, your video? Which we want to we want to play through before we get into the discussion. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I go by Yoda Creek. My nickname is from Uptown, from the Bronx. I I just made two months fresh home from the Feds, fresh out the Feds, and I'm just talking about in that video. I'm just talking about like first day being home and how 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 I feel and everything I experienced and everything, stuff like that. So that's what that video mostly about. But yeah. No question, no question. So it's it, it's mad pertinent to what we're talking about, and it connects. So uh, yeah. ideally, we could get you know a little further into you know just what brought that track about, and and you know yeah. um, all of those kinds of uh, of ins and outs. But uh, brother Scotty, if if that's ready, maybe we could just go right into the video before we continue the discussion here on New Abolitionist Radio. I ain't live my life still, man, nah, cool job, my brothers can't believe y'all was squill. Why the ops want beef, but they wanna go tell, for real. I'm still on papers, but I still keep them still. Rather be locked in someone tell my mom that her son got killed. Fresh home, so now they wanna chill. But if I was locked, I would've not been here from y'all still. So when I do me, bro, don't say I'm funny, be real. And when I'm done sliding, girl, just get out, hit the field. Only thing on my mind is running, making these bills. So I would've been home if they had given me bills. It wasn't with me on my hand, more up and whipping the scale. They wasn't checking up for me, wasn't sending no mail. But I just came back a monster, just came back strong. About to blow no bomber, still keep tools, no plumber. Chopper, chopper, no lumber. Sound loud like thunder, hard cold like the winter. Don't get hot like the summer Thinking of a master plan Money I got, I'll go run up Pieces still shoot like the 4th of July Are you dumber? 054, just won't forget my fat number Them nights I couldn't sleep Felt like my life was going under Thank God I'm free and I'm still alive Cause most of my niggas in the graveyard All they doing time Shackled up in court Brought tears to my mama eyes I'm a man but I still cry Miss my niggas in the sky And all they watching over me Cause I'm still here and I wonder why All the shit I've been through Too much pain to leave you scarred inside Know they mad they love to hate Throwing shade but I still shine Don't do one that net beef Don't talk crazy through them lines But I hop in the foreign and I hit the gas I'm living fast, I'm counting cash Bitch, you still ass But when the feds, he said I'm already dead They gave him my life sentence Plus a hundred ten Told me take this talent home and stack my Benjamins Cause the system got him now he lost his girl No his friends I told y'all I'll be back but y'all wasn't waiting Blessings in the sky so I'm just elevating I was in that cell meditating Like when they took bro that's when shit Really start escalating Now bullets penetrating with no hesitating Fast watching niggas since your house is getting raided Now most my niggas gone cause them niggas hate it Got me thinking about so much while I'm getting faded This lean got me moving slow like I'm in the matrix, man, them got a rubber grip and I ain't talking latex. Ha, ha. 
The Mac and got a rubber grip and I ain't talking latex. Time was running out and I was being patient. Yeah, time was running out and I was being patient. So as as y'all seen, that was Yoda Creep on the track. I'm I'm seeing the the visual hand claps. Uh, much appreciation on on sharing the sharing the track with us. And yeah. um, you know, yeah, you know, as 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 I was pointing toward just just before we heard the track, as far as just what your experience was inside, you know, you talk about patience on the track. You know, you're talking yeah. about just you know just just these the honest issues that occur, you know, from incarceration. And I'm wondering yeah. if you're, if you're able to just speak to some of, some of the inspiration behind that, were, were you kind of, is that something that you were working on at a particular moment inside? And, and how did you envision that? Uh, if so. It was like, at first, I really wasn't really focused on the music. I was making, I was making music before I, I got locked up and everything. But I wasn't taking it as serious as I'm about to now. When I first got arrested and everything for the indictment, they had locked me and all of my friends up and stuff we didn't even do. They just charged us for anything. I wasn't thinking about rapping or nothing. I was thinking about how much time I'm going to look at, how the least time I'm going to try to get, feel me, stuff like that. Like, rapping wasn't really in my mind until I got sentenced and I seen, like, it wasn't that much time that I was going to be looking at and there could still be a, a, a opportunity and a chance that I could um, chase my dreams still. I'm still going to be young. Like my life not over. At first, I'm like, damn, mandatory 20 years to life. I just turned 20 years old. Like, I'm just thinking like it's over for me. But once I found out I was only being sentenced to 41 months, I thought about the time, the age I'll be, the stuff I could do when I get out and stuff like that. And then I started writing like the music and stuff I was going through and things that was going on and how I was being treated while I was in here. In there, because I know there's other people that go through the same thing. Exactly, yeah, get, exactly. Get locked up for stuff they ain't do. The system's all messed up. People forget about them. And then, yeah, you feel alone. It's different. Like, out of sight of mind, it's like you're dead, but you're alive. It's, it's, a, it's like torture in there. Like, you feel like a slave. You got kidnapped. Like, it's not life in there. It's, it's game over. Like, it's not life. No no question. And, and you know, dead and you're alive, I'm reminded of the, the concept uh, from Orlando Patterson, who, who wrote a book about slavery of social debt, you know, he, he describes slavery as, as social debt. And we know that what we're experiencing and, and, and witnessing right now uh, is prison slavery. And so it's, it's a very, it's an apt uh, description. And so, um, Sispa Seer, I'm wondering if we could shift to you, if you could build on this discussion about, you know, what that experience is like, as far as just being so so cut off from your social ties and, and social oxygen uh, from your perspective, especially as someone who's who's now you know been out for a minute but you know was wrongfully incarcerated could could you speak on on some of what Yoda was just bringing out 
you know, don't don't sound. Um, and because of my 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 involvement in the movement and my interrogation with some heavy hitters in the movement, like Tupac's mom, uh, a brother Dumanji, but she and me, may Allah have mercy on all these souls, you know, and other heavy hitters in the movement. My shout out to my mentor that passed, Brother Tuviana. Well, while, because of my affiliation, I was framed for murder in 1984. So it's unfortunate that inside the officers, but people who look like me were on the sidelines playing judge and jury as well as prosecutor. So by being called a child killer and all this here, the, the, the part of the, the, the prosecutor in Queens was executed so effectively that it wasn't a day that went by while I was on the Rikers Island for four years that I was in constant fights. If it was not with the staff, it was staff setting people who, that were locked up like me in there. And even though I know I was innocent and people and the prosecutor know I'm innocent, this is how they set it up. And you know, and for four years on that island and three trials, back and forth, back and forth going to court, which is a very stressful situation, uh, being subjected to um, bullpen therapy and the slander between the government, people who look like you and me that were locked up with me, as well as the staff, the corruption of staff. Then it extended when I blew trial, the third trial, which took them 21 months to commence. I ended up blowing trial, lost loved ones, and ended up going upstate to a state prison for women in Westchester County, Bethel Hills Correctional Facility. And there extended, the same thing I went through on Rikers Island extended there. But like I said, they take you and put you in these situations in these violent environments where you have no other choice but to protect yourself because the staff is not going to do it. And unless somebody you know that's going to hold you down, you have to fight for your own self. And it's not that people are violent in those types of environments, but they're forced into a arena-like setting and, and to protect themselves. And while they're fighting the charges in court, especially when they're false. Then I've been separated from my children. We had an incident back in 1984. They denied me and my children from seeing each other from May to August. From August to November. I was my children and I we, we, we get ready to meet on a visit. For some odd reason, they helped them and the guardian with them in the visiting room. And it was four officers and another person that was locked up with me that worked for them. Called it some kind of, they called themselves jumping me. So I'm fighting four officers and somebody that's locked up like I am. So between having their blood, my blood, on me, they send them for, they send them out of conversation and through an ambulance, trying to give me, also trying to give me a new charge. I had to go 
to see my children, not be able to hold them, but do a non-contact visit. After the visit was over, and, I, and before even, even before it was over, you don't understand the pain that my children was going through, banging on the glass, breaking. It reminded me so much of what Momia had been through. That's how deep that was. This happened on 1515 Haitian Street, which is now a male facility, but was originally the female facility. And could you just, could you repeat the name of that facility, please? Because your uh, audio went in and out for a second. Oh, the, the, the original Women's House of Detention, located at 1515 Hazen Street, which is now a male facility, but was originally a female facility before the Rosen Singer, is where this incident took place. I made other incidents. So I had to go before my children, torn, my blood, the police blood on me, the, the other person was locking with me, blood on me, in front of my children. I can't imagine how traumatizing it was for them. After that visit was over, they took me to the bank, where's a lot. And they sent a white sergeant named, uh, not sergeant, excuse me, a captain named Hayden. And he had the audacity to call me out of the cell and read me my rights. So while he said, you have the right to remain silent, I said, you have the right to take them right, excuse my language, everybody, and shove them up your ass. Because my... Right, my, my paperwork is already written before this happened. And they knew what was going to happen and they chose not to prevent it. So when he went to investigate, they didn't charge me. But what they did when I had the disciplinary hearing, they gave me four 30 day sentences. Usually the, it's limited to 30 days, but they gave me four 30-day sentences, equivalent to having a, like a full charge or a charge inside Rikers Island. Like if I was getting a new number without the officiality of the courts, they took it upon themselves to do that. Well, I, I appreciate your sharing that with us and, and recognizing, you know, the, the ongoing pain of, of those kinds of experiences. So um, just greatly appreciate your insight on that. And I'd like to continue to, to build uh, on, especially some of the ways in which um, those, th these women's facilities and, and how uh, the, you know, the, the plight of women on the inside in particular, if we could kind of build on that further in, in a bit, but I, I, I would sure. like to, um, appreciate that. I'd like to uh, shift over to you, Max, and uh, especially since we're talking about Stop the Raid NYC, you know, these fundraisers as part of a, a, a broader effort to support uh, heads on the inside and their families who, who are being snatched up, you know, behind this uh, pretense of, of so-called gang raids. And so um, just given that that's, that's the overwhelming uh, approach that that's that's really the banner 
under which these slave patrollers are able to just to just come in so recklessly into our communities, you know, and to just snatch people up. So uh, just just across the board and in, in, in the dozens and, and scores. Can you just speak on from from your perspective? How how do you see that picture of of so-called gangs? you know, and the, the propaganda around these, these so-called gangs and how they, how NYPD in, predic- in particular, but uh, these slave patrollers generally and, and the propaganda around gangs and how they, how they use that to render certain communities vulnerable. But what is your experience of that? And how, how have you, uh, what, are, what are some insights from you about, about how that looks and feels, whether it be on the news or uh, reports or, or how they do this indictments, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, like I'll say my experience is, you know, I'm just, I'm a white middle-class person. Like this is, you know, the kind of stuff that most, most people from my background have no idea about. And it's pretty striking to see like how people talk about stuff like this past week, you know, there was a, a white teenager who was grabbed by the warrant squad of the NYPD and thrown in an unmarked, by plainclothes pigs, thrown in an unmarked van and taken away. And there is all this outrage, you know, in the media and social media. There was even council members who were saying, you know, this is unacceptable. What is going on here? And then the NYPD was like, no, we are just following our, our usual protocol. This is what we just do. This is our job. And, and it's just so striking to see that kind of outrage about that particular individual, which of course is terrible that this happens to anybody, but these council members and, you know, mainly white you know, middle class, upper class people who are surprised by this, you know, don't think about the fact that there's, you know, these, these slave patrollers, as we've been saying, you know, not the NYPD and federal agent, through these so-called gang raids, and just go into black and brown working class communities and just snatch, you know, dozens of young black kids, just with, with the, you know, the, the most, the, the smallest excuse. Um, and there's just crickets, you know, there's no council member saying, what are you going to do about this de Blasio or something like that? Um, and I just, it speaks to the fact that, you know, there's the, the, this whole narrative around the so-called like gang, you know, uh, we got the, the whole tough on crime stuff. The, every time you see the stories about this, the media just, just reprints what the police say, which is like, you know, to absolutely demonize these young people who like are oftentimes swept up into this stuff just because they happen to be in a Facebook photo with somebody else who allegedly was in this, you know, group. And, and just because they're wearing this color jersey or whatever, it's like they're the it's this idea that it's just complete dehumanization, you know? And so just the, the, the stop the raids coalition came together originally in 2016, following the Bronx 120 raid, you know, where 120 people were snatched up in East East Chester gardens in the Bronx. But since then there have been a lot more raids in Boston Secor and, and also in the Bronx and Brooklyn as well. So there's been many raids, not, not all of them have gotten that same level of media attention, 
um, but it's an ongoing thing. And, uh, you know, it just, it just racks up more, you know, gold stars for these, these pigs and the, the politicians they represent. And, um, and so it's an, it's been an ongoing thing and, you know, I'm, it's, it's going to keep happening. And it's also important to keep in mind that, that support is, you know, community support has to be long-term. So like, it can't just be, you know, there's like with the Bronx 120, there's a whole bunch of media attention, a whole bunch of media stories, but you know, that dried up eventually, but like, you know, folks are still in, in behind bars from that raid. And then from many other raids, and there's people coming home and there's so many long-term effects too, of even after people come home, they're still affected by this stuff for things like permanent exclusion, for example, where people get shut out of public housing because of, you know, all the having records and, um, and so it really does affect people for so much longer than just the immediate attention or something. Um, and so that's why it's just really important to, to bring together community support. And the, this, the We Home event tomorrow is, is, you know, an effort to do that even during this tough time. Like we were planning on having an event in March, had to cancel because of the pandemic or postpone. But, you know, we said then, like, we can't be socially distancing, we have to be physically distancing. But this is not a time for social distancing. This is a time for community to be together to support each other. Um, so, so yeah, just for the event, just to just to make a plug, like, if, if you know, you want to check it out, go on Jalopy Theater on Facebook, that's J-A-L-O-P-Y, theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E on facebook and they'll be streaming that starting at seven and also if you have you know if folks listening to this now have funds disposable funds to to give to support you know folks coming home this will all go straight to people coming home who you know have a lot of this is especially a hard time to be coming home uh with the pandemic situation and you know economy and just the absolute dumb so you can donate you can go to stop the raids nyc.givingfuel.com slash we home 2020 just say that one more time it's stop the raids nyc.givingfuel.com slash we home 2020 so yeah definitely check out the event tomorrow and and super appreciate all the support it's it's a long-term thing and, and super super vital right now no doubt and Yoda, are are you still with us on the on the line? Because I, I would like to really just continue from off of what you were saying, Max, and 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 how differently heads are characterized out here, and how how that impacts us, how that leads to very different uh, life outcomes in in so many different ways, uh, as as you as you were outlining. So um, I don't know if we still have uh, if um, we still have no, Yoda on the dropped, line. He's dropped no off. Doubt. Hey. No doubt. So seemed like he I, was outside, man. It had mm-hmm. something going on. So mm-hmm. no doubt. Well, we'll we'll keep it moving, and ideally, at some point, we can uh, check in with Yoda and see if if he could get back uh, onto the call. But uh, as you were saying, I mean, there's there's nothing more social distancing than being enslaved you know um yeah. that's that's the ultimate social distancing you know so uh it's just from what you were saying and and what everybody's been saying thus far i i think it's 
important that we continue to recognize just just how connected you know we all are behind this that right now you know so so many of us are are being put in a position where where we have so we don't we're not able to move around the same way that we once did or want to etc and you know as as a lot of heads especially who've been inside have been saying you know it's it's of course nothing like what it what it is like being on the inside directly but it's it's a sliver it's some you know it can give those of us on the outside some semblance of what it's like not to have you know that that so to speak freedom of motion you know that 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 we often take for granted and um you know as george jackson referred to it i mean uh, this is the open air prison out here regardless you know with with millions enslaved and so many more in in, in various different forms so uh, but so I'm wondering, Sis Basir, if you could, if you could continue uh, to to build off of, um, I I would really like to hear some more what of your Max? insights. Yeah, off of what Max was saying, and as well, um, if you could, if you could connect, if you could connect this to just how how people are labeled more generally, um, inside and outside, how 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 labeling is so crucial to how prison slavery uh, functions and operates, whether it be a so-called gang designation or these various racial designations. Um, what is the, what is labeling uh, do in, in, in that kind of environment from your perspective? Well, basically, if you are like myself and many others, like my son, Roger D, um, when you are framed, by the police and the prosecutor's office, which is unfortunate that when you went, when it's in the newspapers, people in jail and prison, majority, not all, have a tendency of using the newspapers as a Bible of truth when you have these allegations. And just like a Vietnam veteran back in the day, when they came back from serving this part of the country, that we call America, they were called baby killers, child killers, and all types of horrendous names. They were trained and brainwashed and by the U.S. government to execute. But those who did not kill, kill children, and an innocent like myself, but are thrown in this type of category, are subjected to the name formed by correctional staff and people who are locked up like them. So you really, like I said again, it's an it's arena-like setting. There's a challenging of attitudes. You have individuals who, whether they're innocent or those the victim of a circumstance, they got their support up. They want to take it out on everybody. Now they miss their family. So therefore, you may become the butt of their frustration. Depending how far we go with it and how far you can tolerate it. For me, I put up with almost 27 years until my, my, my patience was so shortened that, like I said, you have nothing to do but to fight back. That goes with the staff who like to come in gangs, just like the police do out here. Um, even after upon release, and being homeless, you know, like once upon a time, I had family to go home to. But being that my mom, she suffered a brain aneurysm 
as a result of my, my vocal conviction and the stresses of her job at the Bronx Legal Services, she ended up with a brain aneurysm on her job. I almost lost her. So I had to resort going to like Fortune Society, you know, the re-entry transitional housing who profess to help you with housing, help you successfully um, reacclimate out here in society in order to establish yourself. But it's like another prison, it's like another chain and extension from the prison system. You find individuals whom like, like myself, who were incarcerated once upon a time, maybe not done as much time, who are now in a position who are executing as if they are a correction officer and they're monetarily benefiting off of people coming out of prison. So between them and the Department of Division of Parole, you feel as though you're free, but you're not. You have invisible chains upon you. You have a whole myriad of trying to get your identification, trying to get some financial aid so you can survive outside. If you're a weak-minded person, God forbid, and by means of survival, you might have to commit a crime of survival, risking your freedom to go back in that cage. And that was a COVID-19 case. So there are no real resources as far as financial aid, housing. People are forced to go into these transitional and reentry programs on the pretense that they're going to help them with housing, help them with employment, <clears throat> health care, et cetera, et cetera help reunite them with their loved ones, their children, grandchildren, if they're involved. But in actuality, oh my God, sorry about this. In actuality, they are doing the very same thing that was done to them and myself and others by keeping you within these transitional programs and monetarily benefiting from HUD from, from the city controller's office and from the state, which is the governor. And they have a limited budget. In order to keep their programs going, they have to have bodies in there. That's equivalent to the same thing upon being incarcerated. So the money that should be channeled into helping people to be established is really established to help other people live comfortable and lavish lives and send the person back into prison, which cre creates a high rate of recidivism. So, it, it, you know, it, it, it's a, what can I say? It's like almost a catch-22 situation. And the whole thing in that is that not to become weak. Not, you know, the slave mentality, if you recall, when they released slaves out of prison, they had no way to go. They had no family. They freed them, but they freed them without substance. And they had them so desperate that the only life they knew was the plantation. 
So those who are weak in mind and spirit, we brought it back to the plantation under the whip of the slave master. Others push forward and it's difficult as it was. They maintain their freedom. And it's the same, it's equivalent to the same thing then is now. Slavery never left America. It's alive as well. It comes through. Tragically, tragically true. And and so just to, to point toward tomorrow night, given given what you're breaking down here, which is, is so vital for us to comprehend, uh, tomorrow night you're gonna be participating in a panel as part of We Home 2020 on this question of coming home from inside, uh yes. myth versus reality, right? And so what you're speaking to is 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 so relevant to, to that discussion and 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 what you what you started to describe uh sounds a lot like what they refer to as as the nonprofit industrial complex you know and and, yeah. and of course we of course we know there's the prison slavery industrial complex the military industrial complex all down the line a lot of these uh, complexes coming out of uh out of imperial uh, re reactionary United States um, policy and, and, and patterns and practices. Um, and so, Max, I'm wondering if, if we could build on this question. You're, you're, you're approaching this as, as an organizer, an outside supporter, um, you know, a, approaching this on the grassroots level and on, from an abolitionist perspective. Uh, can you can you build on this discussion about uh, what Cispasir is 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 bringing out about um, the the potential for confusion and for misdirection that exists uh, because of at least in part this nonprofit industrial complex that exists and the fact that the heads that are being targeted for this are by and large you know they they've got enough to contend with as it is but, you know to be to be then having to, to you know, figure out this landscape of some very kind of you know false uh, entities that are claiming they're looking to help them and and more grassroots efforts and sincere efforts you know so could you speak to uh, this question of of grassroots support and the nonprofit industrial complex and and how that all kind of factors in from your perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what Sis Basir has just said about, you know, this, this the, the catch-22 of getting out and folks having to navigate, you know, this patchwork of, of, you know, social services and things that are just full of exceptions and exclusions and loopholes and, and then the nonprofit industrial complex, you know, which is, there's, there's always strings attached. It's never like, you know, about supporting communities it's always about you know fueling more grants and big donors and so forth mm -hmm. it, i think we just you know as abolitionists we need to always remind ourselves that we can't we cannot count on a state or a nonprofits to take care of our communities you know like we we have to do that ourselves you know it's either going to be us or it's not going to be anybody um which means that you know folks with with more resources, have to re redistribute that to, to people who are in tough positions, um, you know, and, and, and it's not just about, you know, funds or something too. It's about, you know, being there. It's about, it's about just being, sometimes it's just some, like, 
Yoda was touching on this earlier of like how folks inside just, you know, sometimes they get just so isolated because um, it's just, it's so hard to maintain contact with friends and loved ones from inside. You know, the only way to, to, to contact people is through these profiteering communications companies with terrible service, way overpriced. You know, there's so many barriers. The, the visits, as Sispasir was talking about, which, you know, that's right now, it's like people are being denied visits. Who knows when they're going to get them back? Are they going to, you know, are they, is it going to be the amount of time people deserve? Is it just going to be short? You know, or when are people going to get contact visits again? Who knows? Um, and so it just makes it all that much more important that, you know, we, we work together autonomously, you know, independently of the state, independently of nonprofits, that, you know, we keep our abolitionist principles, you know, we, we're uncompromising, we build towards a world with no, with no raids, with no prisons, with no jails, no parole, you know, none of that, no nonprofits, you know, no settler state, no imperialism, you know, it's just, we have to work with that horizon, so... Um, yeah, for sure. And the event tomorrow is just like one you know, small, small part of that. And, and part of it's just about like having a good time too, you know, because people are already in, you know, rough spots. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of get, you know, depressed and like lose. And I don't know. And I think something like Yoda's music video about, you know, staying strong and, and, and celebrating, you know, that's that's really the spirit of of what we're doing tomorrow evening without question yeah. without question and and did we get yoda back on on the zoom i mm -hmm. i can't see uh who that is on on the number there but oh no that's uh that's that other number uh i believe his sisters but sears number no doubt he uh, was, he was so on the iphone so it would show mm -hmm. him but uh, if I can right. try to get him back, I will tag. No doubt, much appreciated. And and he said that his his phone was running out of batteries, so ideally, uh, ideally he could get back on uh, sooner than later. But um, just so so moving forward, I was I was wondering, Sis Basir, if if you could kind of continue to elaborate on this question, particularly around uh, you know the women's facilities and and kind of you know, the, the particular struggles, you know, that, that y'all go through on the inside, especially because as we know, I mean, it's, oh. it's referred to as, as the, the fastest growing, you know, one of the fastest growing demographics, you know, especially depending on uh, how, how it's racialized, you know, is, um, is women being, being, uh, you know, uh, just funneled into uh, prison slavery. And we don't, we don't often hear as much about um, y'all's plight and and the particular struggles that that y'all go through so could you speak on some of that as far as you know your experience with uh being in, inside bedford and and just being being inside as as a woman bedford as well as uh, albion correctional facility the medium which is very very of dm um the big one biggest struggles is being away from your children the pain station that you could almost imagine when our ancestors visit when they were their children were from them. That's one of the biggest challenges. Um, things like sanitary products, you know, 
when women are doing their court system a month, you know, there's always an upending battle, you know, depending on what supervisor was on, depending on what office was on. How do you not have sanitary napkins for females that you know have monthly courses? Um, we did have one superintendent and who they consider the inmate lover. She somewhat tried to correct that and try to bring somewhat like humanity in the facility, which caused her to get fired. But I but still, there were times where she enforced the regulations. <laughs> it caused a lot of friction, even sometimes between her and myself. Even at one time when she had me working for her in her office, which was kind of like a very uncomfortable situation. But I utilized it to look out for my peers and try to keep things running smooth. But it was not an easy position to be in. And it's not her per se, it was her staff, you know? Um, a lot of these officers come in and, and you will find amazing that when women who have husbands or their boyfriends or they, you know, loved ones that they left out there that come to visit them, you have staff, female correctional officers or corruption officers who will go out the way to make up, put makeup on, fix their hair on jobs waiting for that, that person who's incarcerated loved one to leave from the visit and try to throw their digits at the person's visitor. I mean, you can't, on your two days, three days off, can't find your own man. There have been situations like that that have caused volatile incidents, you know, fights among staff and prisoners because of staff not being able to control themselves, all right? Because you're at a disadvantage by being incarcerated. Um, another thing, the food and, med and the healthcare, horrible, horrible. Uh, and, you know, I want to speak on my son's situation as well. There have been incidents, even where I worked in the mess hall, where you've had cooks I don't know if they're still there, but one African-American named Maddox, Maddox, Maddox or Murdoch, Murdoch, sorry. A woman is asking for her meal. You don't, you, you ready to go out the door. You're not ready to go out the door. He has literally spit in the food or in the or beverage and brought it to her. We had officers, a female officer, African-American named Jackson, where you're in a vulnerable situation of being confined in solitary confinement or maybe observation in a, in a, a cell for mental health. They spit in the food. They, they do things to the food. When you're in solitary confinement, which is in the shoot, they poison the food. I have an incident where they tried to do that to me personally. And these were people that look like me, all of us here on the floor, with the exception of mine. Well, no, that's not true. 
the white ones that they know they can get away with, they start taking the oppression as well. Because they 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 bad, they strong with with in number. But when you catch a one on one, it's a different story. But they have a, tam a tendency of tampering with the food, put soap balls in there. A cleaning agent that you use to clean the stove, the floor, the bathroom, the shower, will put it inside the school. Uh, I could report an incident during Ramadan. Me and another sister, where they had put soap balls, the food was already wrapped up, but that's how they send it out. They took their time bringing the food to the office. Beckford and somebody, Beckford and Graham, and I can't recall the other one's name. And she, she opened it, I put the soap board in there. I was hesitant about taking the tray. Ms. Ramadan, I'm hungry. I fasted on a particular day. So when I went to eat the food, my mouth started to burn. I spit it out and I threw the tray. So clean it up within the cell. So behind that incident, I stopped eating, taking anything. They tried to force feed me. If it wasn't a piece of food where I could dissect it and make sure there was nothing in it, then I may eat it. Or I may not. But I had dropped from 175 pounds all the way to 135 pounds as a result of them doing that because they believe what the government has said about me. My son just recently, Roger Dean, uh, the, the prisoners in Pendleton Correctional Facility have filed a class action. You know, I'm taking it off for me for a minute now, but I'm speaking on him. While he's 35 years, won't be incarcerated. Him and he finally got others to stand up and file a class action against them for the conditions of the COVID-19, for the food, for the, the work conditions, which are horrendous equivalent to what our ancestors been through during slavery that's going on now. And they, put, they did something to the food. When he got sick, he told me he had got really sick. He said that he signed sick call for two days and they did not call him to the scene. No triage, no treatment, nothing. So he said, I, I had to pray on it and let it pass before I felt better. But it took days for that to happen. That right. should have not occurred. These uh, taxes are being, made, are being paid to make these people do a job that they are designated to do, and they're not doing it. And then that's another issue that needs to be, people need to be enlightened on. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and with this recent appointment of this superintendent, Dennis Regal, I don't know if I sent you the email earlier as well as I sent you Bailey, but this individual was one, he was, he was a serviceman at one time obey. The horrendous stories that I've heard 
from Muslims who have communication with those Muslims here, raping men, young men in front of their mothers, the type of psychological abuse. So how is it that this man is allowed to work in a prison here in the United States outside of Cuba? So I'm concerned about the agenda that this particular redneck is bringing to the table upon being a new warden of Pendleton Correctional Facility. Right, right. And and we're definitely going to need to build uh, further so that we can get a full a full update from you, you know, to the best of your knowledge of, of how your son is doing uh, inside mm-hmm. Pendleton. And and we know that that's, that's currently where uh, Kevin Rashid Johnson, uh, incarcerated revolutionary yeah. artist, you know, is. And, and, and we've been getting reports about him as well, you know, with regard to that facility and, and, and his uh, being uh, facing repression and, and oppression there. So, so this is, this is not new for, for Pendleton and, and it, fits their, it fits their agenda, as you say. So, you know, we have to just keep a spotlight on these, on these, uh, on these prison plantations in general and 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 some of these particular ones where they're just really and i mean they're 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 wiling in this way we know because they feel that that there's not that we're not able to get there to them you know when they feel like you spoke about you know being being tortured and and having your food poisoned you know they wouldn't they wouldn't do this if they felt like they had you know that they would be accountable, that they'd be held accountable by those of us on the outside. They feel like, That's you know, right. they feel like y'all, y'all are captured. They feel like heads inside are, are captive and that they can just do, do what they may. So, uh, so it just speaks to why we need to continue to, to really make sure that their, their voices and experiences are, are being foregrounded. And so um, Max, if, if we could continue just, you know, um, from what you were saying, you know, we, we are looking to celebrate the fact that heads are coming home. You know, that's, that's one of the main uh, functions of this, of these events is a celebratory one and, and one, you know, just to encourage and to recognize that, you know, that, that these uh, sisters and brothers and and comrades are not forgotten and that we're going to continue to welcome heads home. And eventually we're going to welcome all of us home from, from out of this because, because slavery is is unacceptable. So, uh, could you just continue to describe, you know, what what we can expect uh, tomorrow night, and and why it is that that head should uh, make sure to connect with this event starting at seven p.m. Uh, we Home Twenty Twenty STR NYC. Yeah, for sure. We've got a bunch of exciting stuff planned. We have we'll have some musical performances, including one by Yoda. So. For folks who are who have been with us since the beginning, the the music video you saw, you know that it's a sneak peek of what you can catch tomorrow evening, and as well as some other musical acts and uh, a cooking demonstration, a panel which will include Sispa Seer, more insights from her and some others, um, and uh, we'll have some some sort of videos and kind of look back to previous events and and just kind of you know try to try to recreate the feeling of a of a celebration you know an in-person one which we we will hopefully be having as soon as possible 
with some more with some more folks who will by then have have gotten out and and yeah like 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 you said tag just looking looking towards the day when when we won't have to you know log into jpay to mm. you know, friends and loved ones and we won't have to you know go visit people through glass and um you know and and none of that crap anymore and you know we can just be you know a, a community without anti-blackness and and prison slavery and and all that and so yeah yeah definitely hope that 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 folks can can participate tomorrow night as i said earlier that's on facebook will be streamed uh you can go to jalopy theater j-a-l-o-p-y and then theater t-h-e-a-t-r-e on facebook and it'll be streaming at 7 p.m it'll be a hour and a half to two hour long event so you know if you can't make it at seven hopefully join later and um and yeah and also the last thing i'll say is just to point point folks towards the fundraiser one more time it's stop the raids nyc.givingfuel.com slash we home 2020 and and all that will be going and i forgot to say as well we have an art auction going which we will point to tomorrow evening you can also check out our iwalk nyc facebook or, or instagram or twitter with for more information about the art auction there'll be a raffle as well uh during the event tomorrow so some some exciting prizes which i won't reveal right now and some really amazing art and and all of that all the proceeds from that will go directly to folks who uh are coming home as well as uh as well as siraj dean uh Cispicier's son who is still inside uh so yeah don't miss it absolutely absolutely don't don't miss it and uh just got word that uh, the the DJ for the night, who is uh, Tondo 1988, just got word that that the mix that uh, that he chefed up for the event um, is is ready. So that's just a that's just a quick update for tomorrow night. And appreciate your your shouting out the the auction as well, which is ongoing. Uh, that already launched and it'll be going through um, through Black August until August 21st, if I'm not mistaken. And that's on 32 auctions. We have uh, inside and outside artists who have contributed uh, just some fire artwork. Um, heads are already looking to, to to grip up their their works. So you want to you want to make sure you check that out before before those uh, prices start start getting to be uh, to to be too too much. So uh, ideally, y'all get involved, you know. And Sisbasir, uh, uh, I know you wanted to expand on on your update about. Um, how your son is doing. Uh, so before we close out, uh, could you just give us an update on, on how he's doing? And if you want to relay anything, you know, from him, I know that there's been issues with communications as it so often is, you know, uh, behind this uh, enslavement system that we are up under. Yeah, look at GTL, you know, that's, and they rely on prison labor, I found out as well. But getting back with so much of being, um, he's, he's expecting to have a PCR post-conviction relief motion in September, if not the end of August. 
I have to find out with him from him again to find out for sure. Um, I talked, we talked to a lawyer, which is the purpose of the legal defense fund for the church to get an attorney as well as for the commissary. The lawyer I offer you, uh, Mr. Uh, attorney Bill Goble, said to me straight out, he said, I read your son's case. Your son does not belong in prison. He said, as bizarre as it is, he said he does not belong in prison. No crime was committed. And then the lawyer shared with me that he was also framed in the state of Indiana. He's a white man. He was framed for murder. He was representing a client who was charged with murder and the prosecutor and the judge, because he, he was vigorously defending his client, charged the lawyer with murder as well. So the lawyer, I guess, in contemplation of that happening, had to, got this far, but he had to fight. But he's offered to me, he said, that's with facility. I said, Pendleton. He said, oh my God, that's one of the worst facilities out there. This came from an attorney that we're trying to obtain to take on Survivor Dean's case. But, you know, he was somewhat firm about the fact that he wanted $7,500 um, for the case. You know, he would fight for him. And he let me know straight up, just like my son did, that he's not going to get no relief in front of this judge, Brian Powery, this racist judge who comes from a lineage of judges who have been wrongly convicting African Americans and, as well as poor whites in Howard County in Kokomo, in Indiana. So he said they're going to get relief in appeals court and it's not going to happen right away. I said, well, how long? Because I don't want my son in there, you know, another four years, five, you know, two years like that. You know, we know things like this don't happen overnight. But the fact still remains that he acknowledged that my son is in there wrongfully. He should have never been arrested on an illegal traffic stop out in Indiana. And the bottom line is that they've been doing this here for a long time. They've been incarcerating people in that state and been getting away with it for decades. And nobody has placed Indiana on the map to expose the slavery, the continued slavery and indentured servitude in that state. So my son, my son and Amit others, you know, are lingering in prison for crimes they did not do. He's doing 35 years for a crime that never happened. And he's innocent of it. And then he was railroaded by an African-American attorney, a sellout, who told my son, you're Muslim, you have a Muslim name, you're Black, and you're from out of town. So they're going to find you guilty. Never made an effort to fight for Salazadine. Never. And and it's it's heinous just um, just how familiar you know these these narratives have become over all these years. You know these these frame ups 
the way that, you know, heads just be getting railroaded, you know, so it's, it's just a tragic uh, and intergenerational reality, you know, that we're facing. If I could just speak to that, you know, before we came on air, before we came on air, I talked about the organizing strategy we've employed here in Gaston County for our social movement here. And that's Mm -hmm. not to get arrested, you know, because you look most African, especially African-American families around here in this area, man, they don't, they don't have a thousand, they don't have, they have to borrow from other family members to get people out of jail sometimes. Then you got to hire an attorney. You know what I'm saying? You got to retain an attorney. That's more money. And so I, I say boycott the jail. If I'm going to end up in jail, it's because they frame me. You know what I'm saying? Like they do so many others. But I'm not volunteering my black body as a form That's of right. protest to go into prison or jail. I mean, excuse me, going to jail, not prison, because these are misdemeanor charges anyway. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I heard the word mentioned nonprofit industrial complex earlier, which I first heard Lorenzo Camboa Irvin, uh, uh, old head, um, original Black Panther said that, you know. Uh, and so, man, it's just so much. And I just want people to rethink things, especially during the pandemic. You know, the last time I talked, had opportunity to speak with sister Bashir's son. We were talking about COVID and how bad it was in there. So people, we can organize without getting arrested. You know what I'm saying? Like my daughter, she was like, why am I going to go out there and stop traffic when I can get the police to stop traffic and then have 50, 75, 100, however many people that's out there to march walk real slow across that street. It had the same effect with nobody going to jail. All right. Exactly. Yeah, no, I absolutely feel what you're saying. And, you know, it's it's a very, it's it's a, a dynamic that we have to just, you know, be sure to coordinate around in, in, in a multiplicity of different ways, you know. Uh, some, some of us are, of course, going to end up, you know, inside when they're picking people up left and right at these demonstrations. You know, some, some people are going to get detained, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not to say, you know, as you're saying, that that head should be putting themselves, you know, at that kind of risk uh, unnecessarily, especially when we know how they do and, and, and how this virus is spreading, you know, rapidly yeah, on well, the inside. Well, let, you know? me make, make, let me make the difference because mm-hmm. the situation on the ground, I do have to recognize is not the same everywhere. So down here in Gaston County, they not snatching us un, unmarked thugs. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's really what they are. Unmarked thugs and unmarked cars kidnapping people off the street. That ain't happening down here. And, and, and I hope it don't never happen. And I don't think it's going to happen. But, it, man, I was just looking at some photos of a videographer for National Geographic where the police in Portland shot him. And it went through his gas mask, glass, gassed his eye. Then I'm looking like at another woman. One of those moms who stood out there, you know what I'm saying, to protect black bodies, got a big old gash in her head. It looked like somebody shot her. I mean, uh, it, it's a it's it's a, a glory to God she's still alive when you look at the photo. So, but that's happening up there in New York. That's not happening here. So I do want to recognize you had to uh, adopt your strategy. But even then, if I'm in there and they snatching people off the street, 
Jen, to it's me, crazy. hey, it's all all options are on the table. I'll leave it at that. No doubt. Fully, yeah. fully hear you on that. And, it, I, you know, some heads have been pointing it out, uh, but it's what, what, what we're describing here, and it's been pointed toward uh, tonight in this discussion, what, what's going on in Oregon right now, as, as, as horrific oh. as it is, you know, this, is, this has been ongoing. You know, this type of behavior with jumping out and unmarked and all of that, that's nothing new. And since we're talking about, you know, stopping these raids, you know, this, this is very much a part of the tactic, you know, the so-called gang policing that they've been doing. Uh, not only in recent years, but for decades and longer. And, you know, in, in many ways, what we're seeing out there just just looks a lot like, you know, the stop and frisk era when that was really just like, just going outrageous, you know, exactly. And, 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 and was running rampant. And it's not to say that that's over, but of course that was ruled unconstitutional, you know, but that's, that's the type of environment that, that they find to be comfortable where 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 heads just feel terrorized in their own communities, like at any moment they could just get snatched up. That's 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 how these slave patrollers feel comfortable. So I I I think that you know what we're discussing here and and how it's manifesting there now, you know, are very much connected. Whether whether those connections are always you know being being brought out or not. Um, but sis Basir, I I, I seen you. You were uh, looking to say something. I I, yeah. I know that um, Yoda is was still having some phone issues, so I don't know if he'll be able to get back in. But I definitely want to hear, um, you know, what what you're looking to build on, you know, before we start uh, closing out for the night. No, I was just going to highlight something that you know, I'm hoping that what's taking place in Portland, Oregon, is not a prelude to martial law. Because this is what Trump and his wounds are planning to execute anyway. The white supremacists in this country for a very long time, they've been there dormant, but they want to get a race war going on in this country. However, to their disadvantage, it's more their people now who have joined our ranks, our, our communities, who do not want to see a race war and who will be willing to fight them as well on our side. The other issue I wanted to raise up is that Sarajah Dean said was part of the lawsuit that they initiated because people were not only dying, contracting COVID-19, dying from it inside the Pennsylvania Correctional Facility and other facilities, Instead of bringing that disease in, but people have been killing themselves or allegedly committing suicide. There have been so many deaths under this warden that no longer did, Dushan Zateki, who's been removed to another facility, still does not answer, get down to the very bottom as to how they're administrating their regulations in that facility and more so in a punitive manner than they are in a conducive manner. You know, it's not a healthy environment. So Roger Dean and other Muslims, they have an imam amongst who's locked up that's giving services. There's no outside imam. Or for the Catholic or Christians, there might be an outside captain, 
But the Muslims have no access to no outside imam. They don't have access to packaging. They want everything purchased in the prison, in the commissary. It's a lot, it's a lot that they take away from them as far as humanity goes. And then we question as to why. Not seeing my son per se, who uh, you know, in Georgia faces, you know, who faced being homeless upon being released after doing 20 years from the age of 15 on to 35. But the fact still remains is that you have these white supremacists that are running these facilities on a punitive agenda. Nothing to try to institute anything from the outside to keep those incarcerated to have some attachment to the outside so they don't have a hard time adjusting when they're released from the environment, you know? And it, it concerns me because, like I said, innocent, guilty, or victim of circumstance. No, they're not there to be coddled, but they're not there to be mistreated or dehumanized. And who the hell are you to play God to judge somebody not knowing what the circumstances is? Because the way some of these prison guards and some of these princes talk, you would think they were literally, especially if you wasn't at the scene of the crime, you would think they were there. Like they're actually jurists and prosecutors speaking on situations that they weren't in comparison to. So it's a lot of work involved, you know, inside and out. You know, the goal is freedom and exoneration. Without question. And and that whole this whole myth about has being coddled on the inside, you know, I'm reminded of uh, Mumia's uh, extremely important work, uh, particularly the, the text Jailhouse Lawyers, you know, where yeah. he proceeds to, to really just puncture through that myth, you know, entirely and, and, and really goes into the, the roots of how some of that even, you know, got perpetuated, you know, um, in, in the public discourse, how, how these claims of, of uh, heads being, has being coddled or, or, or being, you know, treated in such a such a lavish way on the inside like how myths like that even come out and they're doing it now they've been doing it we've seen it as recently you know as the these past few months where heads are getting uh released from out of rikers and other other prison plantations and jails um you know behind this outbreak and they're 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 claiming that you know oh they're getting all this lavish treatment and they're putting them up in hotels and whatnot you know so it's 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 utter nonsense and 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 we have to you know, we have to be up on, on how they spin all of this and, and why they're doing it. But, you know, so, so greatly appreciate you, you bringing that out. And I'm wondering if we could uh, just, just kind of close out with some, with some final thoughts uh, and we'll continue the discussion. Thankfully, you know, you're going to be participating in the panel and I know Max, you'll be involved as well tomorrow night mm -hmm. at We Home 2020. And so ideally, everybody that's that's on here now and, and listening to it later tonight and tomorrow uh, will be able to connect up with us and, and get up as we uh, as we celebrate heads coming home. So, uh, Max, uh, any any closing thoughts on our way out here? Not too much. Not too much to say. Yeah, just excited for tomorrow. And also, since 
since the 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 topic of the the you know the protests came up just i think it's important to remember too that folks on the inside are are struggling and and doing their own and we sh we shouldn't we shouldn't leave them out of this moment the the George Floyd uprisings, as Cispasir pointed to, the, the class action lawsuit, you know, jailhouse lawyers, the strikes, uprisings, all that, that's happening, you know, in prisons and jails, you know, over the past months, we've seen jail breaks, we've seen all sorts of, you know, resistance really happening in the belly of the beast. And I think that's just the one thing I, I would, I would end with myself is, as we're going into Black August, you know, think about how, you know, anyone listening, you know how how can how can those of us on the outside support you know the resistance that's happening on the inside and you know and 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 just building that community support like we'll, we'll be doing tomorrow is part of that for sure appreciate that appreciate that and uh and any any final thoughts uh as we close out sis Basir? yeah another thing that needs to be abolished Although it may, it may, in a way, it's necessary for some individuals, but not all, there's the vision of parole because of their extension of the prison system. You know, people are being released by him, but they're not free. And there's also instigation when you report to parole, which, depending on what type of PO you get, they try to set you up to go back. There's been numerous incidents, just like inside the prison. You know, I, I wanted to say it was an exception to the Cobbling, but there have been incidents with prisoners, some against their will, a lot known, as far as taking the enemy. As far as taking the enemy. Some of them carry that activity on once they release. Some of them are, some women don't carry on, let's say if they parole. If there's extension between corrections and parole, which there is, especially here in New York, if a female has a legal parole officer, sometimes he's hit on. And if she don't do what he wants, then she's subjected to going better. And it could be right for the for the male as well. There have been incidents here in the North, side of a parole commission named Chris Otto, who was set up for the incident to have sex with 11 and 12 year olds. But there was also a parole officer that was charged with rape for being involved with the person, the woman that was paroling, that he was supervising. So there is so much. There is so much between parole and the prison system and jail and probation as well that really needs to be addressed because nobody should be subjected to having to, you know, their body given in exchange for their freedom. This is the same shit that's been going on in slavery that still extend, you know, still exists today. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And thank you Free all Siraj for participating. Dean. Absolutely. Free Siraj Dean. Free them all. And, and absolutely. Absolutely. Free them all. Everybody, uh, make sure if you haven't already, 
subscribe and, and make sure you, you stay up on New Abolitionist Radio, which is on Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, and, and be sure to subscribe to that. Make sure that you stay up on, on updates and on the, the network writ large. And, and we'll, we'll see you all tomorrow night. Uh, we Home 2020, check out the auction. And, uh, you know, let's just continue to, to build abolitionist community and struggle. And shouts to you, Brother Scotty, for, for holding this down uh, through, through the, the issues with the vocals. Uh, much appreciated. Shouts to you, Yoda. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see more of Yoda tomorrow night as he laces the stage uh, on We Home 2020. And ideally see all y'all as well. Peace, everybody. Night.